0: audio conversation with the folks at the Open Minds website recorded Tuesday, June third, two 2014. I spoke with three folks, uh, folks that are involved not only with the website and the podcasting and the radio show, uh, but they are also very much involved in the annual conference, the Open Minds UFO Congress, which is run each year in February down in near Phoenix, Arizona. And this would be Alejandro Rojas, who also had a position at MUFON, where he was uh, the media director at MUFON for a while. And then Jason McClelland, no relationship to me, actually Jason McClellan, no D at the end, uh, and Maureen Ellsbury. And uh, Jason and Maureen are, are rather young, which is very unusual in this field, to have folks doing this kind of work. And together, they are the three of them are what is extremely rare... They are full-time UFO journalists uh, working for the online magazine as well as the uh, podcast and radio series that are produced by Open Minds. Now, the reason I, I wanted to do this interview was to talk about something that uh, that I noticed for the first time. I will talk about this very early on. But it was just a divide that I sensed within the UFO community, I'll uh, say within the attendees, at a UFO conference which I guess would be a somewhat of a cross-section of the overall UFO uh, what would you say the UFO enthusiasts out there that would that would uh, go to a conference as well as uh, seek this kind of information out um, through an online source like Open Minds now this last February this is just a few months ago now I was one of the featured speakers at the conference and I had never done this before and this was a very big deal for me. My talk was titled Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee where I talked about uh, my own personal experiences as well as the ongoing research that I've been doing uh, involving owls and the sort of uh, mythic and mystical aspects and how they seem to be intertwined with this UFO phenomenon. Now, I was, uh, I was quite open Uh, with what I was sharing on stage. And uh, right near the end there of this talk, the talk lasted uh, 75 minutes. Boy, let me tell you, I was really close to tearing up. Um, I'm not sure if anyone out there saw the talk uh, or purchased the DVD, but um, you can see it right there near the end of this talk uh, that I was pretty emotional. And I recognize that side of me uh, that is so earnest to try to get this information across. Now, doing this talk, uh, speaking in front of a crowd, uh, this was a big, big deal for me, and and I got to thank the folks at Open Mind for um, for trusting me and taking a chance on me to speak at their conference. Uh, it really meant a lot to me, and I appreciate it deeply. And I and I don't know if I said that straight out during the interview, but man, the fact that they trusted me to um, Stand on their stage and share what I had to share. Uh, it was important, deep down, important to me, and I'm extremely grateful. I and I and I just want to say that formally right here. All of us together, Alejandro, Jason, and Marine uh, talked for about an hour, and, and and they were very much in the role of representing the outfit they work for, Open Minds, and and I uh, at one point. Uh, you know, kind of put it out to them that I was hungry, personally, I was hungry for information that was uh, a little deeper. They post a lot of citing reports, and they do a lot of interviews. And from my ongoing research, I find that there is a very uh, bizarre uh, aspect to this whole thing, a depth to this whole phenomenon, that, that I am... Absolutely fascinated to. I'm drawn to, and I and I and I pointed out that they were dealing with a lot of what I considered more of the surface issues of the UFO lore, like the sightings reports, just straight sightings reports. Uh, I, I am actually kind of surprised I was as bold as I was in what I said. I, I said it about as nicely as I possibly could, and, and that is sort of a reflection of my own. Oh. Anxieties with this issue with my own uh, desperate need to dig into this issue. Uh, and I didn't want to come across as critical and I don't think I was. Uh, th- this is just one question late in the interview uh, but I-, I could tell it th- this this question or I guess this plea on my part to, to for them to to dig deeper into this subject uh, it took them a little off guard. And uh, and that wasn't my goal, was to catch them off guard. My goal was just to articulate uh, something that I feel deep down, and I suspect other folks out there are hungry for deeper information. That said, their site uh, is pretty much the only place out there that covers the UFO topic to the same degree with a level of, of professionalism and slickness, I will also say. Their site looks great. I mean, and they're churning it out, you know, like a like a regular newspaper would would crank this stuff out. So I I certainly give them credit for the hard work that's involved in that. At the end of the interview, the interview itself with uh, with Alejandro, Jason, and Marine lasts about an hour. At the very end, I tacked on oh about 20 minutes of a uh, interview that I did with Richard Dolan uh, going back uh, just a few months ago now, and we talk about some of the similar issues that I that I wanted to address in this talk. And that would be the divide between the two camps. Uh, the, the, the comic book version would be the Love and Light camp and then the uh, Nuts and Bolts camp. Both of those uh, titles are a little bit simplistic and kind of a caricature, obviously, but they do represent two divergent sides of the way this issue gets framed in people's mind. Now, I feel that I do a fairly good job of straddling both those camps. I feel like I can keep one foot in each camp and and attempt to remain neutral. Uh, that's not as easy as, as it sounds. Uh, I, I feel like I definitely am drifting or drawn, or my heart, let's say, is more in the love and light camp. Uh, the, the issues of consciousness uh, fascinate me much more than the issues of photographic analysis and sighting reports and what I consider more of the surface issues. I'm, I am want to go below the waterline and and dig deeper. And I've, I hope that I've done something to that degree. I've certainly been trying to do that in this ongoing uh, audio series as well as what I post on my blog. This whole interview runs about an hour and a half uh, with Maureen and Jason and Alejandro with the first hour and then another 20 minutes or so at the end with Richard Dolan from an interview that we did back in March. Please enjoy. Hey, Alejandro, Jason, and Maureen, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Okay, so let's go ahead and introduce ourselves just real quick. So, uh, Alejandro, let's get your voice here so everyone knows who you are. Okay, hello. My name's Alejandro. Well done, well done. (laughs) And then Jason?
1: Hi, I'm Jason, and I am happy to be here.
0: Okay, Jason has a very similar last name to my complete name. So uh, if anyone gets confused, let's refer to him as Jason, and you can refer to me as Mike. That'll avoid anything um, confusing. And then Maureen.
2: Yeah, and I hope that people can recognize my voice as the only female on there.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, The reason I wanted to talk to you all was because I have uh, been coming to the conference year after year, and this year, uh, February of 2014, at the Open Minds Conference, I spoke, which was a really big deal for me. And what I noticed, which I had never really tapped into so directly, uh, but I definitely felt like I noticed it more this year, was there is – I'm going to use the word tension, and there's a tension between the two camps of people who show up at these conferences, and that would be uh, – the Love and Light crowd, which is a caricature, obviously, and then the nuts and bolts crowd, and that is also a, a strong caricature. But I think both those caricatures are based in reality. And when I showed up at these show up at these conferences, I have short hair, I, I uh, dress nice, and so I look visually. I think I look like a nuts and bolts guy. And then I was there, and I was presenting, and the, the title of my presentation was Owls synchronicity in the ufo abductee which falls squarely into the love and light camp and i really noticed two camps it really it really was palpable for me this year and i just wanted to get your take on what's what is that like organizing a conference and being i guess and being you know all of you are full-time uh ufo journalists you know what's your sense on that on that uh, discrepancy and and well, whoever you can, we can go popcorn style, and anyone who well, wants. Well, this to is jump Jason. In. I'll I'll go
1: ahead and jump in first and say that, um, really, from from our standpoint as organized for the International UFO Congress, this conference is not a narrowly pointed conference where it's just about one thing. It's intentionally a broad conference about the topic of UFOs and extraterrestrials, and that encompasses so much. So our intention is to be as broad as possible, and in doing so, that appeals to a very broad audience. I mean, you look, take, you just mentioned 2014, and look at our speakers at that event, and we had speakers ranging from NASA astrobiologists to... A researcher who asserts that Bigfoot is an alien. So, I mean, we have speakers that address a variety of topics, and that's going to appeal to a variety of interests and a variety of beliefs. And with a broad conference, not a conference that's just focused on spirituality or a conference just focused on contact. You know, this is a very broad conference, and with that, um, we. Celebrate that exploring many ideas and bringing people together who have these sort of overall similar interests, but with very different beliefs. And by bringing all these people together with all of these different interests, we're appealing to a very broad audience and really facilitating discussion among these different groups. We're not you know with a narrow conference, you can segregate out and and just focus on one ideal or one set of beliefs that 's not what our conference is, and that's not what we 're trying to
0: do
3: yeah and I mean, I would say I think there's a lot more camps than that too uh inside there there's the um good alien bad alien there's the no alien, yes, there are aliens, or you know people that see different um possibilities there's uh I think you could probably pull out a number of different uh, sections, and some of these sections do have tension, but then again, I think uh you know just like with with anything, the people who are real fundamentalists in any side. Uh, you know, are more vocal about their opinions that way and more vocal about their uh disagreements with uh, other areas. But the vast majority of people, I think, are people who are just looking for answers and maybe haven't even made up their mind and they're still looking for information. And uh, they just are, are kind of appreciate all of the different aspects and points of view. Um, I kind of feel that way myself.
2: Yeah, and I think that really what happens here is we do, you know, there is some backlash of some people that will say, you know, I, I don't agree with this person's opinion. Why did you have them? But at the same time, a lot of these people are actively sitting into everyone's talk. And even if they don't agree with what the person's saying, they're listening to their point of view and their perspective. And so I think that that's a really valuable thing too, is because uh, there is the chance that, A, you know, somebody who doesn't believe in alien abduction or or contact might sit in your talk or somebody else's talk and come away with a different perspective afterwards sure you get you know the the backlash as well but um i think that it's all about sort of opening people's minds to the possibilities of what could be occurring because this is a pretty you know um vast phenomena so to speak
3: well, and really that, that aspect of all these different opinions and different groups, I like that a lot personally. I mean, it, it means that it's compelling. It means that everybody is being challenged. Everybody's looking for more information. Uh, and people are also then sharing with each other. I know there's a lot of people who say, you know, I, I went in thinking this but I left with more information and now I've kind of adjusted what I think about things. Um, I think that's really good. I help that how I think that helps for growth for everyone and uh for education and learning. So I think that that it's a good thing.
1: And I think some of our scientists, and specifically, I'm thinking of Richard Hoover, the NASA astrobiologist who we had at our conference. Um, he did sit in on most of the lectures, and he enjoyed them thoroughly and came away, you know, thinking about things he hadn't thought before and, uh, you know, had been exposed to stuff he hadn't been exposed to previously. So, you know, we it, it's not just, uh, you know, other people with similar mindsets. You have these scientists and others coming in who wouldn't normally entertain, uh, you know, this other type of uh, viewpoint, but sitting in on some of these lectures, their eyes are open and they start questioning what they believe and start looking into other possibilities. I think that's really valuable.
0: Okay. Interesting. Now here, there was a quote that, uh, that uh, I found uh, afterwards after the conference was over and it was a Marine got uh, quoted in a Phoenix like some sort of phoenix magazine it was actually a pretty good article it was a long article but there's one quote that i want to pull out and i'm going to read it out loud here and this is Marine's words there's some backlash because we do have a lot of scientists speaking i'll have people come up to me and say why do you have this person we already know extraterrestrial life is out there we know it's abducting people why do you have this guy trying to convince us that life exists out there and, and I and I when I read that I, re- I said well that is that's a very valid point and I recognized that that sentiment much more this year than than ever before
2: well, I think that in regards to that um, is that it's the same thing that Jason was saying where everyone has different beliefs and that person who you know might come up to me and say that and and you feel the same way is not everyone there necessarily believes that extraterrestrial life is visiting and abducting people, but they're curious as to look into if that could be a possibility. And I think that for me, I think the search for extraterrestrial life is hugely important to me. And even if it is microbial life, I think that is something that, you know, not only will, you know, for people that already are firmly believe that extraterrestrial life exists and is coming and visiting earth, um, that this is for not for everyone, If if microbial life is found on another planet, then the general public is going to be much more open to the idea that extraterrestrial life, intelligent life exists there out in the universe and that possibly it is already visiting Earth.
1: And with that comment, again, I mean, yes, we have people coming up questioning why we have scientists or people saying if we find extraterrestrial life – we get equal numbers of of people coming up and saying, "Why do you have you know this person talking about talking Big about owls, or why do you yeah this guy talking about owls? You know what what does this have to do with anything? This is craziness."
0: I got that. You know? Know? I definitely got that from folks. For, you know, so <laughs> owls at a UFO conference. Yeah. What's going
1: on? This is madness. Yeah. But but again, I mean, our purpose is not to you know have everybody there in love with everything we're doing and and. Be on the exact same mindset as everybody there, thinking and believing exactly like everyone there. What's the point in that? I mean, there are uses for that and, and groups for that. I mean, that's you know uh, in many ways that's what uh, what religion is for you know you go and, and you you spend time and and uh, study and research with people who believe exactly as you do and you try to educate and in some ways push your ideals on other people and that again is not what this conference is it's sharing different ideas it's being exposed exposing people to to new and different ideas that are outside of their their comfort zone and, and what their their specialty or their their, their focus usually is the previous. Right.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, go ahead, Alejandro.
3: Oh, I just wanted to add that you know, we it kind of we get backlash no matter what. I mean, you're going to have either people are upset that there's not enough science if you don't have science, or not enough this if you don't have that, not enough this if you don't have that. So, I mean, there really is no winning that whole idea. So, even though in this particular quote. Maureen was talking about this issue. Um, if, you know, we, it could have been any a number of topics that mm-hmm. people felt were either misrepresent- underrepresented or overrepresented.
0: Okay. Um, hey, so the previous conference, so I've been coming to this conference uh, in its two incarnations. The one, the earlier incarnation, it was held in Laughlin, it was sometimes just referred to as the Laughlin Conference. And uh, I guess the first year I went there would have been 2008. And I think I've gone there every year. I may have missed one year in there. So what is that? That's like getting on uh, six years, seven years in a row of going to the same conference. And and part of the reason I go to this conference is because it's long and you have the chance to – like if you go to a short conference, like a two-day conference, you meet someone in the hall and you say, ooh, we should have a really interesting conversation. Let's get back together. And you can never connect with that person again. And then the conference is over. What I find with a longer conference is that you can make the time to have the, all the conversations you need to have with with, um, with these folks. So I, I, I definitely, uh, I, obviously, it's a big deal for someone to take off five days or it used to be. I think it used to be eight days. Is that what it was for mm-hmm. the for the for Bob Brown's yeah, conference? Well yeah. yeah,
3: it changed. There was I think one year that was nine days even, so but they that was too long. So they had to pull it back. But uh they messed with it for a little while. But um yeah, mostly seven, which is pretty dang long.
0: Now my sense is and it's hard for this, this is all just anecdotal like I haven't created a little spreadsheet and compared and contrasted this, but my sense is that the Bob Brown's conference uh, before it became the Open Minds Conference, uh, definitely was tilted a little bit more towards the metaphysical and a little bit more towards the uh, abduction lore. And um, is that am I am I accurate in that? Do you think or I'm they certainly I had folks like you know uh, nuts yeah. and bolts scientists and and folks that would present there.
3: I think maybe you're right, but I and um, but I think that one of the things that we do is kind of make it more broad than it was, which I think is a good thing. And we've certainly gotten a lot of good uh, of feedback and we're getting a lot more attendees than ever before. So I think uh, the the public or is responding really well to being as broad as possible, which uh, I think you're right. I, I don't know if that was the focus so much before as it is now.
0: So you also hand out uh, uh, feedback surveys, uh, at the conference, and I don't know how many people actually fill those out. But uh, what's what's been the what's been the vibe? What's been the, the 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 input you've been getting from the actual attendees?
2: I think it's it's quite all over the board, really. Um, we have a lot of people who really appreciate, you know, the small changes that we've made since we've taken on the conference, um, and then of course you've got people who want the conference tailored to their specific beliefs. So please have more of this type and or more of this type of speaker. And we really have tried to address that. And you'll see, I mean, even this last year, we had more abduction speaker or contactee speakers um, than the previous four years we've put on. Um, and again, you'll, you'll see that, you know, we're addressing people's wants and desires without taking away from the, uh, you know, the diversity of, the quality of speakers as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, some people, of course, are, you know, angry in their survey response, but the majority is super positive and um, just think that you know this is the best thing they go to every year and they love it and and they're really appreciative of of sort of the surface we offer in a sense of bringing together all these people together so they can interact with each other and and the conference really is a big social uh event so to speak and like you said you know you get to converse with attendees and share different ideas so it's not just um, about the speakers, it's about the camaraderie and about the interaction and the exchange of ideas. I think so. Um, people are are relatively positive.
1: And again, this isn't something that's unique to the UFO community. When you are hearing opinions from two thousand plus people, not everybody's going to agree. You're going to get a enormous variety of responses. And again, people wanting things catered to their specific likes and dislikes. But uh, yeah, I mean, we get a good mix. And I think, uh, you know, it gets better every year. And like Maureen said, we, we do try to listen to requests from people and and meet those as best as we can without, uh, you know, making it lopsided or, or, or skewing things or undoing what we've been able to accomplish.
0: Uh, originally, the initial lineup of speakers included James Gilliland, uh, who's decidedly in the new-agey uh, Love and Light camp. Uh, he's the fellow who runs the East City Ranch out in Washington State. And along with uh, – so another speaker dropped out at the last minute, and that was Artie Sixkiller-Clark. And she wrote a book called um, – oh, just I, I think the uh, Legends of the Star People or –
2: Okay, I even wrote a review on this. I believe it's the encounters of, um, oh shoot, American Indian encounters, basically.
0: Yeah, and so so she was talking about the mythology of the of the folklore and the mythology and and the stories that get reported present day by by Native Americans. And I think she's a professor somewhere in Montana. And I was actually looking forward to meeting both of those, and I was very disappointed when both of those folks dropped out at the last minute. So so. Initially, that would have been, you know, two out of, what is it, 15, 16 speakers. How many speakers are each year? About 20. 20, okay. So so that's 10% of the speakers got replaced. And I think if, if I'm not mistaken, they were both replaced by folks who would have fallen into more of the uh, nuts and bolts side of the thing. Hey, this is Mike. I'm chiming in during the editing process. Hey, I just want to point out that I fully recognize... That the conference had a very well balanced lineup of speakers. Uh, earlier, just a moment ago, Maureen said that in some of the feedback, the people were basically saying, "You need to have more speakers to meet my belief system." She said something to that effect. Now, in a way, that's kind of what I'm what I'm needling uh, them about is so that they have four speakers to meet my personal belief system. Uh, I kind of recognize that I came across like that, which is. Kind of kind of true, but um and I also I also it was very clear that they, they did have a very well balanced uh, selection of of speakers. I was disappointed that both both James Gilliland and R d six Killer Clark were not there. Uh, I was looking forward to hearing their talk and meeting them in person. Um, their belief system, if any that's as good a way to say it as anything, uh, dovetails quite cleanly with my own, so there's that selfish thing. Uh, okay, back to the interview. And I think if if I'm not mistaken, they were both replaced by folks who would have fallen into more of the uh, nuts and bolts side of the thing. I know one of the folks was Colonel John Alexander w- uh, was pulled in at the last minute.
2: Um, and that, that's not like an intentional switch up. You know, unfortunately, Artie got really sick last minute and couldn't make it. Um, and we were very excited to have her. But um, it, it's definitely not. It's more of like we have a list of people who, you know, people wanted to see. It wasn't intentionally trying to cram more nuts and bolts in there over um, other types of speakers. It's just pretty much they were next on the list of the requested or or what have you. So um, it's very difficult when we get that close to the conference to be like, okay, well, we want to search out to replace this particular perspective Maybe we can pull in that perspective next year, but um, unfortunately, it's it's get down to the wire, so to speak.
0: Sure. Oh, I recognize it. Oh, go on. And you make
3: a great point in that you know those people couldn't make it at the last minute, which was unfortunate because they were two of the people that we invited real early on, and were really excited about having. uh, And they were excited, but uh, last minute, you know, things change. Um, However, they were replaced by. Colonel John, John Alexander, who uh, it, it, I think this is a great point because you have we have a lot of people who are very vocal about <laughs> oh my gosh this guy is there how can he be there? However, we have a lot of people who aren't as vocal but come to us and they say oh that was awesome that was great you know it's so good that he's there to represent you know a different perspective so he's very popular he's really popular people you know uh really like to have him there. And the other person that was there was David Marler, I think, was the guy we replaced him with. His topic is triangular UFOs, where it's more history-based. It's more kind of historical, looking at historical records, which may be considered nuts and bolts. However you know, people find found it fascinating and it is fascinating. He's done some incredible work. So um, although uh, there's a slight difference, uh, I mean, Artie six killers, uh, Native American, and but she's more historical as well. Uh, you know, it, it's still stuff that pertains to the topic. And for example, especially when it comes to David Marler's topic, it's something that and, and I think this is where I like to. The people who are considered nuts and bolts, which I don't think is often fair for some of these people like David Marler, he's researching a topic that's important to the field in general. And it's a topic then that appeals to the field f- from all angles. I mean, even people who are into the metaphysical side want to know what are these triangles up to. And they want to know, holy cow, people have been seeing similar – um vehicles in the late 1800s and similar reports of these triangular craft in the late 1800s as as they are now. I mean, that is a broad uh, interest for people. So, um, you know, also, I don't think it's fair to pigeonhole some of these people, uh, especially in a topic like that, that just deserves attentions from all sides and, and does get it.
0: Yeah, oh, and and I am purposely being uh what's you know like I am I'm purposely using the caricature in a way of the, right, uh, right. the of both sides. I mean both camps. Well, stop it, Michael. Well, just I mean both as a, I'm a cartoonist <laughs> by by profession. That's what I do. So, uh oh. But um so just as I was so like I was I tend not to see that many presentations, I'll tend to buy the the DVDs. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I do that is because I want to uh, rub shoulders and talk with folks, and and really have one-on-one uh, conversations with with people. So I tend not to see that many of the talks, um, and you know, and then but it is a, the 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 fact that you can just buy them uh, on a DVD format is great because I take advantage of that, and and uh, it it allowed me to see a bunch of talks that I wanted to see, but uh, real you know it was, it was worth it for me just to buy the DVD. So I was, and quite honest, so I was hanging out back, you know, with the you know, the attendees, and uh I got to hear, I mean, boy, the, I mean, the Colonel John Alexander thing, man, people were pretty heated up about that. It was pretty interesting. I mean, they, folks saw him as a, you know, you know, paid disinformation agent, you know, beholden to the reptilian overlords. It was, it was pretty strong, like what, what folks were saying. So, uh and I had seen his talk, I guess two years before he had been there and I think he gave a very similar talk. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not going to like, whatever, I have no opinion whether he was, you know, uh, had any sort of Luciferian agenda, but that was certainly some vocalized opinions by some of the folks in the more love and light crew. Let me tell you, I don't know if you can, I don't know. Yeah, I heard it. (laughs) Okay. Oh, you did. So, so there, you wasn't. Okay. No, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I
3: mentioned you know it, it, it gets things heated, which uh almost is kind of fun because especially when it 's early on, it creates this energy uh where people are really then um, amped up, and uh, you would think it would be negative, but it 's actually kind of positive positive. and uh one of the cool things is is uh you know i it 's important. For all sides to get together and to spend time with each other. I think what you mentioned about like, you know, spending time with everyone and then getting the videos is the best way to do the conference because rarely do you get to meet with everyone. And people get these perceptions about these sides that really uh, butt heads and don't like each other. But one of my favorite stories from this last conference was, you know, we had a debate about some of this stuff, and Alexander was kind of on one side, Bassett's on the other side. They're both very emotional about their positions. Uh, But the first thing they did after the talk was they went and had lunch together. Um, I'm glad you told that story. Yeah, that's what's important. I mean, that we all share our opinions, but also understand that and appreciate and respect each other's opinions, because that's big for us at Open Minds. I mean, we always... Uh, try to be as unbiased and uh represent all of the opinions in this field, regardless of our own, because we respect that everyone has different opinions and they they deserve to have their own opinions, and our job is to get them all the information out there uh and put our opinions aside so that's really important to us and and I think that was really cool that they're able to to do that as well. It shows a maturity. Uh, and it shows uh, the respect, and I think that's what's most important.
0: Hey, um, less so for um the conference in a way, and I guess more so for the just the overall you know role that you guys are playing as I guess full time journalists. There's really not that many people out there who can say that they are full time journalists looking into this. You know, so I guess I'm going to take it away less from the conference and more towards the a bigger picture of you know a journalistic approach to these to these topics rather than a conference organizers. Um, here's this is something I've seen and I just want some comments on it because this that within the research community there is pressure to not talk about the weird stuff, uh, and I can name some names I won't do that now but I sure could of people who've who've like basically taken you know other people aside and say do not talk about this consciousness stuff don't you dare talk about the channeling don't talk about the psychic stuff uh you know don't bring up the telepathic you know experiences that that uh abductees have and uh and just stick to the stuff that's easier to digest by the general public and what happens is that that and and um and i've been at the receiving end of that a bit, and I know Kim Carlsberg has been at the receiving end of that. Like, you know, don't talk about this weird stuff. And uh, I guess what what it comes from is there are people who have their first hand personal experiences, and they are out there to share their truth. Uh, and I, and I look at, um, Kewani, the fellow who did the, uh, the Bigfoot presentation who I talked with at, uh, for a while. I loved the guy. And, um, I mean, this guy was just so forthright with his firsthand experiences. And I will tell you that people who have had the contact experience or the abduction experience, it is very difficult for them to come forward. And, and I can think of a lot of examples of folks who have a set story and they don't really stray from that. You sit them down at the bar. Or you talk to them, you know, out in the lawn, and their real firsthand experience is much, much weirder than than what they share, uh, you know, publicly. And and this this goes this isn't specifically a conference directed thing. This is this is much more general to the to the to the public persona or how this stuff gets shared publicly.
3: I would say that we certainly do not shy away from uh, the weird stuff. Uh, I think it you know it's fair for everyone to have their vo- to share their experiences and uh, we cover the stories of, of people even if it's considered weird. Uh, I certainly interview people on Open Minds, you know, our podcast uh, that have really weird stuff. Uh, you know, Gilliland, you uh, might be considered weird. Uh, yeah, no, we, no, I'm, I'm on, way out there on the fringe. Yeah, yeah, to share their information because it's fair to share that. Although I do see, you know, I can understand how, how people would feel that way. Uh there, and I think that certain organizations, I think one of the problems, kind of to flip this on, on its head, is that certain groups whose mission is to be very nuts and bolts, I think that it's fair for them to have that uh, space and to stick to it. And it's really important that they do so. So, for example, let's say NARCAP or, uh, you know, the Richard Haynes group where they try to really just stick to the nuts and bolts. It's fair for them to do that. And they should do that. It's important for them to do that. They're trying to turn the heads of mainstream scientists and researchers. And if they open their minds then they're more likely to look at some of the more fringe stuff. So I think we need to respect the space that we all choose to have. But then again, you know, uh, as to your point, those, those people who are afraid for, let's say, your credibility, also uh, need to respect that you know you've taken this stance that you're going to be courageous and share your experiences and share what they mean to you, regardless of anything else. Um, which is another thing, at least I respect because that that's so honest. And um, if you and others weren't doing that, then we wouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, understanding things, uh, and you wouldn't be challenging all the rest of us. Like we should be challenged to really understand what's going on. I don't know what do you guys feel? What do you think, Maureen?
2: Well, I think that like i mean for in in my opinion, um even as a journalist is I try to be as objective as I possibly can and not put too much of my personal opinions into stuff um I've covered plenty of abduction cases, and in fact, on my the the show i'm on uncovering aliens, we tour around interviewing these people that have feel they have had these experiences and i think that um it's fair to present their stories and their sides for me personally i have a really hard time digesting the whole idea of channeling and things like that so yeah i mean i don't really cover that stuff as much but when i present a story you know we'll talk about share their you know abduction experience and and let the reader make up their own mind with the facts that are presented in the story. And I think that just this is a field where objectivity is extremely important, but I agree with Alejandro where we kind of have to respect everyone's spaces. Like, for me, I, you know, stay away from sort of the channeling aspect, uh, and somebody else, they might stay away from something else, and it's not um, that, you know, that doesn't deserve a space in the media. It's, It's just, I think you you have it's a fine line sort of to trot between um keeping personal opinion out out of news and or you know experiences
0: hey so as far as your tv show which is interesting cuz part of the research i did for this little talk is i watched a few episodes of your uh of the show um uh, which is uncovering aliens is that the title correct okay and and i was so two you have two outspoken ufo abductees as part of your little team and one Correct. of them is uh Stephen Jones, who mm-hmm. is clearly in the love and light camp, and you yes. have Daryl <laughs> Sims, who is clearly in the you know evil aliens camp here's my question. here's I'll t- I have a couple questions i mean so uh here I'll ask the first this one first when it comes time to have lunch on the set does do Steve and Daryl sit together
2: oh yeah yeah they they get along actually very well um they're both very nice people. Um, they have very differing opinions, but what we're seeing over time is uh, – and what I think they're starting to learn too is that everyone's experience is different. And so maybe they're becoming a little more accepting of each other's ideas, but there, there's definitely um, – they're very outspoken about the good versus evil um, aspects, which is <laughs> kind of interesting to be a part of for sure.
0: Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that was one of the things that, I mean, with, you know, camps within camps, you know, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, some, some folks won't deal with abduction at all. Uh, You know, they'll just, they just want to deal with the lights in the sky. And then there's folks that, you know, that are only dealing with abduction and are completely bored with lights in the sky. There's a quote that a friend of mine sat next to, this is going back over 10 years now, uh, sat next to dr john mack at a conference and up on the big screen they were doing some videos and someone was talking about the videos that they had taken and collected and they were just basically little dots in the sky and john mack sighed you know basically said haven't we moved uh past little dots in the sky little little bits of light in the sky you know and he's dealing with like a consciousness of force that's directly interacting with individuals and i can and from my end like i'm pretty bored with lights in the sky little dots in the sky and i'm very uh fascinated by the 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 abduction lore just because of that the the weirdness of that direct contact now the other question i had was um is now so there's got to be a lot of pressure to create entertainment when you do these tv shows
2: well i think of course um but uh at least my production company is very respectful of the people and their experiences. And of course, like anything, so much does not make the final 45 minutes. You know, you, you film for two weeks for one little episode and uh, a lot of people will comment, why didn't you ask this or why didn't you guys test this or do that or do this? And it's like, well, a lot of the times we did, it just <laughs> didn't, you're not seeing that as the public cause you can't fit it all in. So, um, I think that they've done a really good job of, of, you know, trying to not ridicule the people who are presenting um, their ideas uh, or their experiences, um, and and they really do uh, consider everyone's and opinions. But again, uh, what's hard for me is if I don't necessarily agree with somebody, um, it's hard for me to tell a person. I think that maybe you're confusing this with that. You know, I wasn't there for sure. But you know, it's it's hard to, when it's such a fragile subject, um, actually express an opinion when you are vocally asked to do so uh on set, so to speak.
0: Now, Maureen, uh I part of my thing f- to prep for this is I listened to an audio interview you and Alejandro did probably maybe last summer, I think, for the on the open minds radio mm-hmm. thing. And I don't have the direct quote in there, but you did say that you were unconvinced about the abduction phenomena.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that um, I believe that I've met a lot of very um, credible, uh, well grounded individuals who uh, believe they've had experiences, and um, I think it's a really fascinating topic that I've been really interested in. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those topics that if you don't experience it, you don't see it. Um, it it's hard. To swallow, sort of, um, but that's not to say that that I don't um, believe there could be something. There. It's just for me personally, I am not a hundred percent believer yet.
0: Now that's interesting you say that because you're hanging out on the set and you're driving around and going to locations with two people, you know, that are both experiencers and researchers. Steve Jones
2: and Gerald Sims. Mm-hmm. Well, and Stephen Jones is convinced that in his his mind i am an experiencer too and um, we had
0: coyotes on your roof
2: isn't that <laughs> well, like that's like unrelated but and
0: you drew um, pictures of aliens as a little kid didn't you
2: yeah but but you I'm, know I'm, it's being like this is... I'm sorry i'm being purposely <laughs> antagonistic
0: here so.
2: yeah so i i've, I've politely declined from steven's um firm accusations and and um you know we i mean we all respect each other and and their different experiences um and i've never said i think you're lying I don't think that really happened to you. That's not not where I go with anything. I wasn't there. I don't know.
1: Well, and I agree with Maureen. I mean that that's one of those subjects that like many other things that personal experience is really what seals the deal for for most things in life, and yes, I've met with so many uh, very very convincing people with incredible stories. Um, so I certainly entertain the idea, but you know, I think until I personally experience. I can't know 100 percent like with you, Mike. I mean, I've heard your stories and and I respect you very much and and think you're a well-grounded person. See how you fooled me. But uh, (laughs) I, you know, I I can hear your stories and I can I can believe that, uh, you know, you're being truthful with me and everything. But until I actually experience it for myself, you know, there's always going to be that doubt or that uncertainty that, you know, is is my crazy or or what's going on here? You know, there could be other things, but until I see it and experience it for myself, I won't be 100% absolutely certain.
0: I'm going to chime in here now. So uh, getting close to two years ago, maybe I did an interview on the Open Minds. I think it might have actually still been called um, UFO Think Tank at the time, but the Open Minds radio program with uh, hosted by Alejandro. We talked for a little over an hour and during that talk i would not say that i had had abduction experiences i would not say that i had direct contact experience i would say that something had intersected with my life and in the intervening 2 years i had the experience that that basically defined you know the culmination of that that presentation i gave which was um it was i mean i said it earlier it was a big deal for me to stand on stage and say that in front of a crowd of people that you know the event that happened was it took about 25 minutes to tell uh because it involved you know multiple stories but basically three separate events all lined up exactly in a straight line on a map and for me that that was that was what convinced me and that happened actually curiously enough as i was driving home from the conference in 2013 well, over a year ago now so i went from the, the 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 mindset I had when I spoke with Alejandro where I was all mixed up and could not come to a c- conclusion of what may or may not have happened. I had the event in on March 10th of 2013, a little over a year ago, and that completely changed everything. Where where from that point on I feel like I cannot be wishy-washy anymore. And at the same time I fully Fully recognize what it feels like to be like awash in those doubts. So, um, I, I guess it was it was a very interesting thing for me because what happened was when I was driving home this year from the conference, long drive between uh, you know uh, Phoenix to where I live up here in Idaho, uh, I I just had my iPod on shuffle and one of the things I heard I listened to the entirety of the interview that I did with Alejandro, and it was very. Powerful for me to hear that older self that was less convinced. Now, I don't feel like – I feel like um someone like bo- – well, both of them, both Steve Jones and Daryl Sims are very strong in their opinions. They're very forceful personalities. And, and I don't have that in me because I recognize that there's something elusive about this. That was – I guess I just – I went on and on and on, but uh, – but that was, that was a very powerful thing, Alejandro, for me to, to listen to that talk uh, a second time, um, as a changed person, really.
3: Well, and I remember, yeah, you were a bit reticent, um, to even do a talk, uh, I, I, or come on the show. Um, so I was really happy that you did, of course. And, uh, I remember that now that you mention it because I forgot about that. But I think that's a good point, too, in that you're not the only one who has experiences who even questions the nature of those experiences uh, themselves So I think then when you have people who uh, are not sure who haven't had experiences, you know, I think it's really fair for for people to then not be sure themselves. And, you know, we mentioned John Mack prior and John Mack was not so sure there was any physical aspect to the abduction phenomena. He felt more it was a non-physical sort of thing, although he did feel there was a kind of a third party involved. Uh, of some sort. So, yeah, it's just really mysterious and and enigmatic.
0: Yep, it sure is. And and I was very clear in my talk that I did not, like, I mean, I said it straight up that I don't know the source of this mystery. Like, I don't know if it's from outer space. I don't know if it's from our collective conscious. I don't know if it's from, if it's welling up from some, you know, ancient force that is our, collective myth makers throughout all time um i don't have an answer and i'm open to all of it though what i can say with absolute absolute 100 percent conviction i can say that something very unusual is going on and beyond that it's all conjecture
2: i respect that opinion for sure
0: here here okay well good for me but anyway so yeah so uh but um so uh
2: the the magazine
0: uh, I just got my last issue. It had a little sticker on the front that said "Final Issue." And uh, um, uh, what happened?
1: Jeez, what did depress us, Mike? Thanks a lot. Really bringing the yeah, show down is, here.
0: Okay, well, I can. I'll, well, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about. Uh, we can talk about lightweight camping in a little bit, and I'll get, get you all excited. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, we all love that. But uh, Maureen
3: gets to answer this question um, several times a day when people call up. Do you? Do you? What do you tell them, Maureen?
2: Well, uh, I usually, you know, print's a really hard market to be in right now, and, and many magazines are folding. It's it is insane how much it costs to produce a magazine, and um, you know, there's just not enough draw for print at the moment. So, I did have somebody write me a letter that told me that um, he did not believe that that was the case, and pretty much that. They're telling overlords. Other, They're doing it. Yeah, 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 There's some conspiracy behind our, our magazine shutting down. but no. um, So we're just focusing on our other projects. We thought it would be better for the company as a whole to, um, you know, focus on providing as much content as we can online. And that, you know, unfortunately, some people don't have computers. But outside of that, um, it's opening up the audience and we're producing a lot of content. Um, And we're still at conference and um, doing our radio programs and spacing out our web series and uh, just trying to get as much stuff out there for people.
0: I um, worked in the magazine industry for a long time. I work as an illustrator, and I did a lot of magazine illustration for decades. Well, I was a regular contributor to Climbing Magazine for a dozen years. And and I watched that change. I mean, so when I started working for Climbing Magazine, there was no such thing as the internet. And uh, near the end there, um, uh, I just watched, you know, them basically say like, boy, gee, Mike, we love your work, but we can't pay for it anymore because, you know, advertisers aren't paying and, you know, it's like, what mm-hmm. it costs to print this stuff up and send it out? and But we still want to use your illustrations, but we can't pay anymore. So that was, <laughs> that was, I heard that story from one form or another over and over and over again from multiple magazine sources now. Um so when you when you were coming out with that print magazine I like that was the first thing in my mind is like wow man this is bold this is probably not going to last and, and how uh, long is
1: this going to last yeah. yeah
0: exactly Yeah, so i understand the the reality of that and i also understand that the what the the reality of of uh the online content i mean doing the research to create the article and and such is going to be the same but uh you don't have to uh create something on paper and then put a stamp on it and take them to the post yeah. office and we actually
3: get more viewership online. Uh it, it kinda has a longer life online, which is great, especially uh when you create the work and, and you want as many eyes on it as possible. Although one thing that hurts is that probably the biggest rub is is the art because uh you know it's always fun when you when you write something and you have this beautiful presentation and, and our uh our digital graphic designer, uh, Eric McFarlane just creates the most amazing visuals. He's had a couple other people help him, but just so incredible. He's so, I'm such a huge fan of this guy and he's so extremely talented that, uh, the presentation for the magazine visually was just really, really cool. So, and, uh, like Jason and Maureen said, you know, the print, uh, kind of going away, like you, you reiterated. So I think, you know, Really, it was a vision of of our boss, John Rayo, who, uh, you know, invested in this and he really stuck to it for four years uh, before he called it quits. So, you know, it was uh, he loved the magazine and thought it was so done so well. And his daughter, Angela, was a chief editor, our editor in chief. Uh, It's done a great job and all the number of great, great uh, authors who have contributed to it who are now contributing online. So we have more stories uh, than ever going onto our website right now.
0: Okay, now, uh, and I've said this earlier in the talk, but I'm at a point now where the little lights in the sky reports don't really have much draw for me. Uh, this is my sense, is this is getting on 70 years since since Kenneth Arnold had his sighting, which a lot of folks trace back to the dawn of the modern UFO era, uh, so, so you know, so you know a, a full long stretch of time there, uh, where people have been doing UFO research and collecting sighting reports and stuff like that. Now, my concern is that the the sighting report and the the article or the the uh, journalistic approach to talking about a little light in the sky hasn't really changed that much in 70 years. You read a report from from 1948 and it doesn't sound a whole lot different from a report you might read on the online today. What I'm now Nick Redfern and I have talked about this and he basically says all we're really doing is collecting the same reports over and over and over again and the only thing that we're doing is buying more filing cabinets to store all these reports in. And 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 nothing or very little has been moved forward on the big board as far as our, our understanding of this mystery. Um, what do you all see as your role to push this issue further along down the path of better understanding?
1: Well, with when it comes to reports of lights in the sky, I mean, those are going to stay the same – forever i mean that's all they are is lights in the sky so a report about lights in the sky now is going to be the same as it was the first sighting of a light in the sky because that's all the information you have going beyond i mean and it is important to gather that data to to track trends and and things like that shapes of craft uh, see see reoccurring uh, themes here but The the thing that can be done to go beyond that, you know, it depends on the sighting. I mean, if there's additional information to take that further, that's great. But what a lot of people do, and I think this is a dangerous road to go down, is they start making assumptions. And you see that a lot with people when – they see or or watch a video or read an article about a sighting, they'll say, oh, that's obviously the TR3B. Why are we wasting our time? You know, they jump in and make huge assumptions when the data doesn't back that up. Yes, there are things to suggest certain things, but there are a lot of people who, you know, feel that they have the answers and they make huge conclusions. And that Is a dangerous road to go down. It's not journalistic, and we certainly uh, try to avoid that. I think there's a value in reporting lights in the sky, and while researchers certainly, and especially researchers who have been researching UFOs for 20-plus years, aren't going to be interested by lights in the sky, not everybody's researched UFOs for 20 years, you know. You're, you're dealing with the general public. You're dealing with new generations. I mean, all research has a purpose and an audience. Yes, more advanced researchers uh, have other avenues to go down. And and even look at researchers who have been in the field for decades. You know, a lot of researchers in the UFO field focus on one area, whether it be Roswell or triangle UFOs or abductions, you know, very niche areas owls. of this, this field. And owls. <laughs> That's right. I mean, not everybody is interested in every single area of this gigantic complex field so i i think every area does have a purpose and it does need to continue being researched reported etc um it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea
3: i'm glad you brought this up because i think it it highlights uh the extreme importance of nuts and bolts and uh look tracking these sightings i mean It's extremely important for a number of reasons. First of all, on the aspect of journalism, they're by far the most popular stories. That's what people want to read.
0: Oh, oh, let me just, let me chime in. So, so do you feel that, is that accurate? Because I, how do you quantify that data? I can quantify it because we track uh,
3: how many clicks we get on all of our stories. If we post a citing story, we are definitely going to get a few thousand hits on that. If we post something other than that, it's hit or miss. Oh, So let's uh, say you post an abduction story. It's, again, hit or miss. If it's a sensational-sounding abduction story, uh, then sometimes it'll get a lot of hits. If it sounds kind of too fringe, it won't get many hits at all. Uh, so it – abduction is not a for sure when it comes to getting the number of hits and what people are interested in and you know i think we would see this in the general population too because really the media right now is posting what's getting hit and that's what's cool about right now when it comes to nuts and bolts and that's certainly one thing that has changed is that the media is not afraid to post ufo sighting reports and they do it on a regular basis because they get so many hits um the advantage then to of this to Us is that it gets more people looking at this field. uh, Often or occasionally, Uh, some of these are really credible stories. But even if they're just your your neighbor down the street, Joe Schmo, you know, it's someone. uh, I think it makes people feel more comfortable talking about the topic than sharing their own sighting reports. And then hopefully, if they get something, they feel comfortable and they don't feel, you know, they're going to get laughed at or the, it diminishes the taboo to uh, saying that you've seen something yourself. I think the advantages are, are tremendous, especially in just the well, just the but like fifteen years or so that I've been really plugged into this field. There's been a huge change where that uh, giggle factor was a really big deal when I started, and now not so much. Now we have the media talking about this stuff on a regular basis, and and an example is you know now Roger Marsh is is writing for Open Mindset TV, so he he's the director of communications for Move. Fun. Oh, let me and, just
0: add. I'm gonna, so I'm going to say, so I've spoken at mm-hmm. length with Roger Marsh. Roger Marsh wrote a book. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't. I have. Uh, Roger cool. Marsh mm-hmm. is very straight. He is very open. He will not bring it up unless you bring it up first. But Roger Marsh is a lifelong abductee who's had multiple wow. abduction experiences.
3: Well, and so, it's interesting to to then that he is also someone who's focused on the sightings and the nuts and bolts. Um, But the other thing that it does when it comes to science or of the field is it collects data, and that's vital to collect the data. Um, Nick Redford may have a point in that uh, it hasn't shown us a whole lot, but the problem is uh, I think that – that data, because I've been involved with MUFON Project, where they've tried to track that data and put it together, it's really hard to do. It's really hard. It takes a lot of time for statisticians to come in, take that data and figure something out with it. And we just don't have the resources in this field to do that right now. Ooh, but ooh, so let me just interrupt. So,
0: so, so uh, has there ever been, I mean, I'm just like, the simplest questions are: men seeing UFOs more than women. Are uh, UFOs more prominent in on a Wednesday night? Uh, which is something John Keel wrote, which I thought was like, does that show up in the data? Uh, you know. I, I, so has any? Mm-hmm. I, I have never seen a statistical overview of what's getting on forty-four years. Actually, it was forty-four years two days ago that MUFON was founded. Uh, I've never seen any kind of statistical overview of, of their giant pool of data, which must be like like, intimidatingly huge.
3: I agree 100%. Now, MUFON, I think, really late in the game got it into to digitizing all of this, and they still are working on exporting that data and reports that are useful. Um, I used to, and, you know, not to pat myself on the back too much, I mean, my, the ones that I did, I think, were the most extensive, and they weren't that extensive. Um I post them, you know, yearly on our site. Well what you find? Uh, what what just what any,
0: what's showing up as far as like what you're finding in the data?
3: Well, in the data, all I can do is real high level general stuff. I can't do shape stuff because it's not I don't have the correct data to do that. And um working on exporting that data and it's something that MoveOn really needs to pay attention to. But we showed, you know, where hot spots are, I think is is an important one. Um it shows up. That- Arizona, Colorado, Oregon um, are places that are hot spots when you match that data up to population, which I think is an extremely important. Although the most uh, sightings are reported in California, you know, they've also got more people than everywhere else. So when you match it up to population, um, Colorado, Arizona, others uh, have a lot more sightings per person. Um, I think that's really important stuff. Uh, trends over time. I think it's really important, uh, although I would ascribe a lot of those trends to awareness in the media and this openness um, in that we do have more citing reports, but uh, more people know to report them, more people feel comfortable reporting them. I think that's all really important. So I think you know it may be the tip of the iceberg, but uh, of course, nobody knows the icebergs there if there isn't a tip to be pointing out of the water. So uh, I think that that uh, you know the sightings are just extremely extremely important. We can't let go of nuts and bolts, and a lot of the other stuff is speculation. And speculation's great, um, but you need some data behind it to really kind of figure out what's going on. I'm certainly not against you know sit around and sitting around and speculating but I'm also really fascinated by the people who roll up their sleeves and dive into the data and figure something out. And that's really hard to do. And, and I'd agree with Nick and that that's not done enough. And, uh, it takes a lot of resources. That's why it'd be great if there was a, uh, you know, uh, organized group, uh, such as a, a university that
1: tackled some of this stuff and really, um, put some resources towards doing some of this work. That'd be great. And I, I agree with Mike. It'd be great to to pull some of this more demographic data from sightings. You know, based on uh, you know age, race, sex, all sorts of different different things you could look at here. The problem, though, is whatever information you'd be able to pull from that would be not necessarily accurate. It would be skewed a bit because, as you know, Alejandro, um, you're you're at the mercy of whatever the witness is providing, and in most cases, it's very little. Many of them uh remain anonymous. you don't know if they are a man or a woman. Um, you may not know uh you know what day it was, so tracking uh Wednesdays would be impossible um, so you know again not not every sighting is going to have all that information. so if you were able to pull those sightings that do have that information, it wouldn't necessarily be representative because not all sightings have that.
0: hi uh
3: did we lose mike
0: hold it oh, mike? oh you know what oh. i didn't you know what i did i was i had my you, mute on you muted
3: oh my gosh oh, i was how... muted you should have
0: heard how smart i sounded i was so That's good right so 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 uh, uh I, I was two. yeah take two here we go oh i was sounded so good i was so <laughs> smooth and smart uh-huh. sounding hey uh this i'll make this the last thing i say uh earlier, Alejandro, you said uh, you talked about, you know, th- you're trying to diminish the taboo. Uh, and I wrote that down here. You said this sort of the diminish the taboo of coming forward with your stories. And I am trying to do that, too. And I mean, I'm doing it first person. I am trying to role model, uh, like talking about this stuff you know in a first person form like i'm sharing my experiences as honestly as i can and i am attempting to diminish the taboo and i and i do recognize that things have changed in let's say the last decade i think i would have been uh dismissed with contempt a decade ago mm-hmm. and i realize that people are actually paying attention to what I'm saying, as well as, uh, you know, if people have come forward and thanked me for what I say, you know, folks that I care about, Richard Dolan and Grant Cameron, have both been very complimentary with the work I do, and I consider both of those folks, uh, you know, they both, I'll say both folks have one foot in the Nuts and Bolts camp and one foot in the Love and Light camp. They're both, they're straddling that those that divide. My focus has been on the deeply personal side of this stuff, and the direct interactions. And I recognize there's a need for both sides. Someone... If, if you're going to take a report and you go to someone's house, you have to go in the backyard with the tape measure and measure the burn mark in the backyard. And at the same time, you have to go in and sit down for a good long time with the witness and ask the really hard questions. Has your spirituality changed this? Have you had any psychic experiences since your sighting? Do you have a sense of mission welling up inside you. Now, these, those three things that I just brought up, the, you know, psychic stuff and the spirituality and the sense of mission, that is what I'm finding with the people I'm talking to. And I'm, you know, I'm very much gravitating to, to the folks who've had the contact, the direct contact experience. But so that, so what I'm saying is there's a need to do both. There's a need for the nuts and bolts side. You cannot ignore that pragmatic side and you can't ignore the more consciousness, consciousness, more spiritual and I will also say the much much more difficult stuff to quantify it's this stuff is very elusive and you have to step into the realm of speculation but what I so now here's what I'm going to do and I'm going to I'm going to urge I'm going to put my I'm going to say this put this on the record I am urging you at open minds to dig a little deeper and to really uh, I'm going to give you a challenge in a way to 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 go below the waterline, more than you have. I mean, there's – and I'm very familiar with the stuff that's been in your magazine and the folks you've had. And so uh, I'm not saying ignore the nuts and bolts, but I mean I'm saying that there is presently an emergence of folks – Grant Cameron is a perfect example of someone who did nuts and bolts, pragmatic research, looking at government documents, and now has turned his focus on to uh, the consciousness aspect. And And I oh, was wow. – Oh, here go ahead, I'll let you answer i'm getting i'm i don't I'll, I'll edit myself down so I don't sound like i'm on a on a rant i guess so
3: i'm gonna have to respect it, respectfully decline your invitation to no i'm kidding i'm kidding um well we try to do our best balance uh, that we can uh, and I think that um that uh we certainly have a goal to – I think any perceived lack of of going underwater is due to uh, a prevalent uh, mission of ours to penetrate the mainstream um, and to – we're not focused on where the UFO crowd is. I think at least me more focused on where the general population is and bringing uh, information to the largest audience uh, as possible. And um, that may then be a little uh, right of, of fringe than, than uh, you know, certainly than the UFO crowd overall would be.
0: And I'll just say that I think that that the general public would be fascinated by some of the more fringy aspects of this. And then I, and I also feel that it could be addressed in a way that wouldn't be Mm off-putting.
3: Yeah. I think we bring it to them, but, uh, there's just a lot more sightings out there than, uh, people sharing abduction stories. Whereas there's hundreds of sightings a day, there's maybe only a couple people, you know, coming forward with, uh, their, uh, experiences, uh, in a month. So, uh, that's another factor I think to, to keep in mind.
2: Jason or Maureen? Uh, I'm going to agree with, with Alejandro on this one where it's, you know, it's it's really important for us to maintain a balance and it's not necessarily addressing um, the fact that we're, you know, more nuts and bolts or things like that. It's about, um, you know, we're not going to immediately be able to dive into more of that as we are a news media organization and we're covering uh, a lot of the news and the sightings and the history. um, Whereas he said, there's a lot less people coming forward um, with abduction stories or, or with, you know, I, I, you're getting like, it's almost like mixing religion and, and um, news or factual events um, is, is a fine line difficult to do.
0: Oh, I, I fully, I fully see that it would be, would be challenging. And I'm not saying that you know to sort of you know take out take your editorial stance and throw it out the window. I'm just saying that, and this is deeply personal for my end. This is what I am hungry for. This side of the phenomenon. So, um, this is completely selfish. My little, my little request or Well, I've got challenge. a
1: solution here, Mike. You should, uh, you should submit an article to OpenMinds.tv. TV.
0: There you go. Uh, maybe I will. Maybe I That's will. I've been. Solution. I mean, I feel like I've been cuz i do i do recognize uh that uh that it can i so i recognize that it can be done in a balanced non sensationalistic non religious way and and that is one thing i actually feel like i personally excel at is like i can talk about pretty fringy stuff and at the same time come off fairly i hopefully uh fairly grounded
1: well, and I think something, a topic like that, you know, coming from somebody like yourself who focuses on this area and, and researches it and has your, your own experiences as well, it comes into play. Um, I think that's an article like that or, or addressing that topic is better suited for someone like yourself. Um, whereas pretty much everything that I write, you know, trying to be as, as journalistic and, and, and looking at, at it from a news angle, that's, that's my focus, you know, having, a news story that's making headlines, being able to cite to my sources and report on that story, like Alejandra said, that is the way that we make this topic uh, palatable and approachable for the mainstream public. And that's then why other news, news sites will uh, republish our stories, because we do have a journalistic story that has its sources cited and uh you know they're not just some blog or something they're they're actual mainstream news sources and i know some people uh distrust the mainstream media but that's the way we we keep our stories uh journalistic and and more approachable for the mainstream
0: public wonderful hey um it's been this has been great this is this is exactly what i wanted to address and uh any final comments from anyone well,
3: Thanks for having us, and you know, we, we really uh, appreciate. It's been fun. You know, you've been coming to the conference for years, so it's been great to get to know you better. We're really happy and uh, uh, proud to be able to to be one of the first places. I think we're the first place where you were able to do a talk and present your information, and uh, it's really fun, uh, you know, knowing you and, and
1: interacting with you. So, thank you so much for having us on the show yeah mike it's been great i'm glad we finally got to do this it's been so much fun getting to know you over the years and we were so happy to have you at the conference and i haven't told you this but i do admire your work very much as an illustrator
2: oh thank you thank you absolutely good stuff and have that article on our desk by friday no later than noon (laughs) (laughs) um i may take you up on that
0: article thing um and uh uh, yeah, so I may, that, that's actually, that didn't, hadn't even crossed my mind. but um, yeah, that we're, would be, we're always
1: accepting submissions.
0: Okay, because I feel like I could put my, uh, my uh, thoughts to into the written page. Uh, and well, maybe and if you do
1: that, I, I hope you submit some illustrations to go along with it.
0: Uh, I mean, that's actually, it's much easier for me to draw than it is <laughs> for me to write. Uh, we like
2: stories with lots of pictures.
0: Okay, yeah, so they might be a little on the cartoony side, so. Uh, Nothing wrong with that great thanks so much and i will uh i'll uh, i'll keep in touch thank you mike That's good thanks bye now bye. hi this is mike i'm chiming in at the end of the editing process hey uh, one of the last questions i asked uh, in this interview uh when i put it out to all three of them uh was um a, a challenge that the folks at open mind uh dig a little deeper and go a little below the waterline uh I was a little shocked when I when I went through the editing process and actually re-listened to my own words. I mean, it was kind of pushy. Um, I did live in New York for a while, so that, that, that comes easy for me sometimes, maybe easier than it should. But um, I, I, I still stand by that. I really feel that people are, are ready and open and um, even hungry for this kind of information. The deeper, more complex uh, issues that arise out of uh, this stuff. And I guess when I say this stuff, I am speaking more specifically to the abduction lore, to the contact lore, to the things that the experiencers are sharing and, and let me say, bringing back. In a way, they are playing the role of the owl in Mythos, where the, uh, the experiencer is receiving a message and they are coming back from another realm and sharing that message. Uh, that ties in somewhat to not only the role of the owl, but the role of the shaman. And and I guess I'm certainly hungry for that information. And uh, I guess I just came across as maybe pushy and wanted uh, them to meet my personal needs, which is a little unfair, and I recognize that. But um, all that said, Jason did chime in and say, here, i got a challenge for you. Why don't you write an essay? Why don't you write an article? And uh, maybe I will that seems like a good idea. I think I could put my thoughts uh, down on paper, um, maybe better than they came out verbally. And in a way, I'm putting that challenge out not just to open minds, I'm putting it out to the whole UFO research community. I'm just saying, this stuff has been going on in its... Modern incarnation for getting on seventy years now, and very little has been moved forward in our deeper understanding of of the of the of this phenomenon and uh, and that that spinning of the wheels you know the car stuck in the sand as this weirdness just swirls around us, and all we can do is pump out citing report after citing report after citing report, and very little of the depth has been brought forward in a mainstream way. And I just feel a need to to try to bring this stuff forward. Maybe that's selfish on my part, but so be it. Uh, what you're about to listen to next is an excerpt from an audio interview that I did with Richard Dolan. This goes back just a few months. It was in March. Uh, and Richard and I Discuss the same uh, divergent tensions that are showing up in the two camps, the Love and Light crew and the um, Nuts and Bolts crew. Uh, He recognizes it, I recognize it. It is a little bit funny on one level, and it is a reflection of a bunch of things, including just straight out human nature. Uh, So uh, I thought that the the conversation that I had with Rich was lively and, and exciting. And, and I thought he articulated uh, some of the issues much better than I did uh, or could. And, and I praise him for that. And so I thought it was valid to tack that on at the end here. So for about the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear myself and Richard Dolan talking about the divergent camps within the overall uh, pool of I guess UFO enthusiasts, the kind of people who attend UFO conferences uh, as well as the researchers as well as uh, the people who just have a general interest in this stuff so here you go here 's rich and myself talking back in march
4: and one of one of the things that I, I tried to address in this is exactly exactly what you are asking about here. What you have is this rift. An intellectual rift that has emerged in the field of UFO studies that took to use a very loose terminology for this because it's more than just UFO. It's more than just talking about objects in the sky, and that's part of the rift. So you have the old uh, nuts and bolts MUFON crowd, let's just say, the investigators who had, and you know, that's really my pedigree. Um, the people who are focused on the as tangible a sighting as you could. Have you know people seeing craft, um, and for me looking at military documentation and, and all of that stuff. But you have the high strangeness aspect of this phenomenon. Let's call it the consciousness aspect of this phenomenon. And um, you know, ufology developed as a discipline really after the Condon Committee, in nineteen sixty nine, kind of slapped it down and said, no, "Nothing of scientific probative value in the UFO phenomenon. There's nothing worth." Uh, Scientific pursuit. So, what did Mufon do, and what did Kufos do, and these other groups? They developed what became known as scientific ufology. So, all through the 1970s, you get this this movement, and it was a major intellectual movement in the field to create UFO research on a scientific basis. That is, you know, the the attitude was, hey, if they're going to smack us down as not scientifically worthy, we will show them, and we are going to study this phenomenon in as totally a scientific manner as we can within limited financial means at our disposal i mean to do science really well you need money of course and they didn't have that but using scientific principles to the extent possible and that was the goal of scientific ufology. and that did not include crazy studies in consciousness
0: and that and, was and, right and that's you know that is what is being reported by the abductees in a way
4: well absolutely so so you have that that's one of the important but then what you have is the the uh development of a new age culture and really when did when did new age consciousness really start making its headway into into western culture i would say um really in a major way during the, the late 70s and and onward is when you really start seeing this more and more it's not that it didn't exist before but it becomes a really big thing it seems to me especially during the 1980s and then further um and that's when we start getting allegedly channeled uh, communications with extraterrestrials. You have Barbara Marciniak talking about her uh, Pleiadians from the late 80s onward and, and a lot of other people. So that's the other strand. And what I've been trying to understand myself is like to what you know, to what extent is that stuff valid? When people talk about Bashar, the channeler, is, is that valid or not? Um, when people talk about getting a telepathic download from another intelligence – is that valid or not.
0: And and let me just add that the the crux of my whole talk was my own telepathic download of seeing a map in my mind's eye.
4: Uh, exactly. Yeah.
0: So exactly. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. yeah. So so this is
4: and and one of the things that I've you know I mean my my intellectual instinct from years back had in the past always been to dismiss the latter of those, to dismiss, you know, airy-fairy uh, consciousness as a how can I I can't quantify it. I can't you I can't prove it or disprove it. Technically speaking, it's not what is called falsifiable. Like a philosopher would say this is not falsifiable, therefore it's not valid. It may be true, a philosopher would say, it may not be true, but I can't call it valid because I can't test it.
0: And in, in my, my take on this is, is what I do is I listen very carefully to the stories shared by all aspects of the phenomenon, including right. that I make sure to sit down with the folks that make my right. toes curl in my shoes and listen to their stories. Well, I, I'm with you on this. And so that that had,
4: <clears throat> I want to emphasize, that had been my position. That That is not my position anymore. <laughs> That's not where I'm at. I'm, and uh, I've gone through my own changes in the last few years, okay, in thinking this through, both... Intellectually, and I would say even at a deeper, more personal level. So, what where I'm at now is, um, let's talk about an intellectual transformation. You look at, at the contemporary sciences that allow an open door for consciousness. There are such sciences. I mean, we talk about entanglement, we talk about non-locality, um, and we talk about you know other other things that are somewhat tangible, like remote viewing. All of which allow. For us to say, there is something about the structure of our reality and about consciousness itself that that, that does not fit, you know, your classical nineteenth-century uh, Victorian materialist conception of physics and reality. <laughs> Which I know we're past that, but but I think most of us know where our heads are. Where well.
0: our, you know we might be we might be there in like you know the fact that there are articles on a shelf in a in an academic. Uh, Journal but but where but my brain isn't there, you know
4: no I mean, exactly, and I think and most scientists' brains are not there, even those who may be aware that yes, there's this thing called uh, entanglement, but <laughs> it's it's another thing for our for our minds to really to think along those ways, and so I think most of us are kind of like an advanced version of nineteenth century materialism i, I think
0: and'm and I'm, I'm sort of like not pretending to be a scientist, so i 'm content to call that magic
4: yeah cool i mean that's that's perfectly valid the way you're doing that so uh where was oh so so on one level i'm looking at i've been looking at contemporary scientific trends and theories and ideas that allow for consciousness to be a valid subject let's say of ufology, and i am on that basis alone i am totally convinced that that's legit that that's and that's necessary. It's not just legitimate. It's necessary for us to have an appreciation of the mind, of my mind, of your mind, of the human mind's interaction with this phenomenon as a as the core, maybe the core element of where all of this is meaningful and all, all of this is happening. And then on a personal level, as I I was just saying to you earlier, but I'll just say here, um, I, I certainly would not pretend that I've gone through a, a – profound spiritual transformation but i will tell you i've been doing now i've been doing kundalini yoga for the last year twice a week which you know not every day i have noticed it's it's what kundalini does is it's it's not just a physical discipline it, it's very physically demanding and i love doing it i absolutely love it but it is a mental and it is a spiritual discipline so it's been very good for me to to do this and i've also been uh, in the last few months really getting into understanding meditation again. I've been listening to a series of lectures on meditation and I guess we could say enlightenment and so forth. So all of this has been a very positive effect on me personally and I will just say that I had a a meditative experience in which I was able, this is crazy, but I know this happened. I was able to see and observe my deepest thought processes in a way that I I've never really been able to do before. And what it what is and I'm still trying to process through all of this. I'm not really done thinking about this. I think I can do it again. It's when you learn how to go deep, you can you can try to keep going deep, I think. But what I see is there are layers of our consciousness that exist. So I have existed. I function on that outermost layer of our consciousness which is uh, our five senses, our you know, uh, our five physical senses—you know, sight and hearing and touch and so on—have uh, helped me create my worldview. The uh, the culture in which I'm living has helped to create that worldview, and all of those neural pathways functioning on on that level. I mean, it's an incredibly sophisticated layer. It's an incredibly rich layer, and um, and that's really the the only layer that I normally need in my in my ordinary reality, but there's layers below that, and um, that's what I was able directly to experience. So what that's telling me is that there's these other. It's so confused, so hard for me to discuss.
0: This. Yeah, and that's why I think you have to use metaphor and you have to use mythology, and because because it, it is, it's challenging to try right. to treat this stuff pragmatically because it it falls apart when you try to. Yeah, you know, keep going, keep going. Uh, yeah. but I get what you're saying. Um.
4: Yeah, so I I think like we all of I mean we all know we have a subconscious mind. Okay, so but what I was fortunate in being able to do recently is to almost see that subconscious mind and experience it consciously. It was an odd experience. It was I guess you could say it's a mystical experience. Maybe that's, that's as
0: good a, good a word as any. Yeah, and that's I mean that's uh,
4: and I think that I had that, and it was a it was profound for me. So um, it's given me an extra insight into. How my own mind works, how our minds work, because what happened to me is certainly not unique to me. I think this is this is how we're structured. This is how we're set up, and um, and then we, I can infer that these others, these other beings, they're structured in their own way, which is different from how we're structured. So, um, but they're aware of us. They are able to uh, reach us in their own way. But as we were saying before, they, I think they have to do it in, in a limited way so as not to be too much for us, not to be overwhelming. But maybe they have other ways, like they have uh, created... I, I think it's entirely possible that they've created certain types of life forms to, to work for them, like their own avatars that, that might be able to interact with us in this reality. When, when Travis Walton talks about his abduction experience, as you well know, he had direct recollection of non humans and humans on that craft or wherever he was
0: as then that shows up with a lot of accounts yeah that 's very normal
4: so so what are what 's going on there I mean
0: okay, this is mike i 'm chiming in uh, uh, I think this is a really good, lively back and forth between rich and i uh, he, he was kind of musing. Uh, speculating on how these entities interact with us. And I feel uh, that they are interacting through metaphor, through myth. Uh, I feel that the direct interaction, the actual attempt to talk to us directly, is limited. The same way that it is limiting for us to talk to our dog. Uh, We can get some things across but the dog is never going to fully understand where we're coming from. So that analogy, whatever, holds up fairly well. Uh, now, also you have to add in the utter weirdness of the telepathic communication that gets reported consistently by the contactees and the abductees. You know, this is direct, literally direct psychic download into the consciousness of, of the human and uh, from people I've talked to and from plenty of cases I've read, that can be kind of distressing and overwhelming. It is not a, uh, it's efficient on some levels and it is uh, disrupting on others. So uh, the, the, the relationship between whatever's out there and us here uh, can get all scrambled up. Okay, back to, back to a few more minutes of, of Rich and I talking. Here we go.
4: But the other thing about a dog is like when a dog's cowering. When a dog knows that he or she's done something wrong and they're cowering before their person, uh, Whitley's implication was that's really – that's like us in front of them. Like we can't really handle. I had another interesting conversation with a, a, a man who I, I think is an abductee and he's very insightful, very smart man. And He says they disrupt our – they disrupt our minds. Like they – whatever they have and whatever they do is disruptive to our field that was his word our field i think that there's a lot to that so that they have to they deal with us to the extent that they do it has to be indirectly through metaphor through symbolism and you know one of the things is so what is it with you like they're they've identified you they identified natasha and, and i in this is, what's this the
0: significance is, yeah i mean the sort of alien love bite thing i mean natasha and i would be pretty straight about that's the way our relationship played out you know right out right. of uh, the uh, eve lorgan handbook there um and very yeah very, oh, this is so complicated um so i don't know if we, have we strayed oh we're straying all over the place this I, is great <laughs> i got no problem with it so no yeah so if i uh, and i'm just so um Oh, I have wrote some stuff down here. Now, now we're, we're <laughs> ten steps past the stuff that I wrote down. But uh, uh, I'm not sure where I started on this. But the the altered state of consciousness that gets described by abductees, I feel I have tapped into it four separate times that I can remember, and so that is, I, so the stuff is so fleeting and so foggy and so challenging to try to describe. Unlike taking the measuring stick out into the yard and measuring the burn mark where the flying saucer landed you can get pragmatic information to that you can look right at the little numbers on the uh, measuring on the measuring tape and you can write that down in a in a in a journal and it'll be numbers and you can quantify that to other things but here's here's the thing so um i'm sorry for interrupting Go, go 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 but um
4: we're talking about these two strands of thinking so you got the nuts and bolts crowd and you've got the um love and light crowd yeah the love and light crowd and you know, the nuts and bolts crowd is dealing with purely the layer of the outer consciousness, you know, our logic. And really what you see is the love light crowd is dealing with, with that lower layer of consciousness. They're not interested in the, the upper layer of consciousness. They're interested because they sense, I think they know, that there is an intelligence operating at that at that deeper level, and that's what's interesting to them. The other stuff is probably boring to them.
0: And hate. that that this is you're describing right? here. And I'm going to look up something at the Marine uh, Ellsbury who who works at mm-hmm. Open Minds. Yeah. Um, she quoted something here. I got to find it here. I got all these notes. Um, Yes, yeah, so this she was quoted in the newspaper, and this was so apparent. Um, Colonel John Alexander was one of the speakers at the yeah. conference, and let me tell you, the Love and Light crew—they were like, "He's a government spy. He's like a disinformation <laughs> agent. You know, he's like you know sent from the reptilian overlords here to yeah. disrupt us." And and um, and there was a, another fellow up there who spoke about. Uh, you know, there's some scientists. It was a very scientific leaning in, in the list of yeah, of of the things. And, like the, right. and this is so. This I'm going to read this directly. This is a direct quote from a newspaper article. I think it was like the Phoenix Times or some Phoenix okay. magazine, and uh, they asked her about. Um, it was actually quite a long article, and they dug in some depth about you know the, the the conference. So Marine says, so Marine says there is some backlash because we do have a lot of scientists speaking. I'll have people come up and say. Why did you have this person? We already know extraterrestrial life is out there. We know it's abducting people. Why do you have this guy trying to convince us that life exists in outer space? Mm-hmm. And now I completely understand that sentiment, and I could see how it would be frustrating to a, to a conference uh, organizer to have that, uh, uh, you know, these this two divergent camps kind of like yeah. you know, clashing.
4: Well, I mean, they're both necessary, though. I mean, honestly, because... Like, and I
0: agree. <clears throat> I agree. They're, they are both necessary.
4: You know, the... the um, <clears throat> the upper layer the the nuts and bolts and the the scientists coming in there if uh there there's actually two aspects of um of the life of an intellectual it seems to me so one is the explorer and one is the teacher so if you're an explorer or a student you don't really need to worry about explaining to other people you're on your journey and you're trying to figure it out. And you and if you find other like-minded people along the way, so much the better. Yes, good. But the ultimate goal for that kind of a person is to learn and to explore and just to dive in. So, you know, if they've gotten to a point where they feel they they have a, a grasp of this, why the hell would they want to listen to some astrophysicist talk about how much life there is probably in the universe? They don't give a shit about that. Now, on the other hand, there's another equally responsible way of doing this that's the mode of the teacher in my own life i i can see like i'm both of those i know that i'm both of those i mean i i am a i am an explorer but i know that i i personally am a teacher and what does a teacher have to do the teacher realizes that there's a lot of people out there in this world and they they have a hunger they don't even—they're not even aware a lot of times that they have this hunger, but they have a hunger to learn more. They have a hunger because they know there's just something important about their worldview that's totally missing. They're not getting it, and and then they they encounter this topic, this topic which we loosely call UFOs, which we loosely call ET, whatever. But it's so much more than that. And they encounter this topic, and it's like this oh shit moment that comes on in their and the big light bulb comes on in their head, and they realize, my God, there's this reality. And and it's the job of a good teacher, all right, to be able to reach out to those people and to and you have to bring them in by baby steps. You can't you cannot throw this whole subject out to the great, great, many, 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 many people out there who are totally ignorant about it. They don't know. They don't understand this. But they, they have that hunger.
0: So and oh, and need... let me just let me just say, I, and I, I yeah, thought I was that was very much on my mind as I put together my talk, and I and I kept that in the forefront that I was going to be juggling some complex ideas, and yeah. I had to present it in a way that was smooth.
4: You succeeded. I mean, you you absolutely succeeded in what you were trying to do because you really went right on the edges, the, right on the edges of exploration of this topic. I mean, you broke into a lot of new ground new ideas well thanks that's thanks. my that's my take on okay it, yeah. keep going keep going well, i'm not sure where we were so uh, well i think so when we're talking about this divide this rift it, it seems to me that they're they're both they're both valid ways of looking at this phenomenon And it's not like one invalidates the other although you have the nuts and bolts people who try to invalidate the love and light and there's a lot of the love and light stuff that is just goofy ass doesn't make any sense to me i mean just really is loose-headed some of this i just have to i shake my head and i think you know really the well whole that's
0: that's I mean whatever there's some little thing where you know someone said you know uh, how come ninety eight percent of all science fiction is crap and then the the answer was well ninety eight percent of everything is crap you know I mean well, yeah, exactly, that's, yeah, so, exactly so you have to that's 98% the job of, of all popular music is and everything yeah, so, and I'm sure yeah, there's whatever. a lot of there's a lot of nuts and bolts uh books on the shelf about UFOs that I that don't resonate with me in the slightest so um and yeah, some that, do strongly
4: abso- absolutely so um so you know you have the the nuts and bolts that that has dismissed a lot of the love and light stuff. And, um, and I myself have, you know, find some of it very frustrating. On the other hand, as I, I'm trying to explore in my own mind and in, in my latest book, um, UFOs for the 21st century mind, I, I have never been able to dismiss it because I, I am convinced that there's a core of, of something very critically important in this. And, um, and the same is with this, this is an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing exploration So, uh, but yeah, I think the two, the two, uh, roads, as it were, are, um, they, they seem totally different, but they really are looking at the same phenomenon just from a different, you know, a different part of the mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I, that's both, my take too. Yeah, they're both important. Both are valid. You got to yeah. go out and measure the burn mark in the backyard and write it down in a little book. And then you, right. but at the same time, you have to go in and talk to the witness yeah. and ask them, you know, how has your spirituality yeah. changed? Have you had any, any psychic only, experiences?
4: To, to, totally, totally.
0: And it's not only studying the
4: nuts and bolts aspect so that we can convince other people that, gee, there's something going on here. I mean, that in and of itself is important. It's important for us to understand what the hell's going on in our on that layer of reality but there is this inner working there's this it's I keep calling it a meta intelligence it's a, it's a higher intelligence that somehow operates and they somehow understand our minds better than we do i think
0: Okay, that was myself and Richard Dolan talking about uh, the weirdness that shows up in the UFO community. And um, And if you have not listened to that full audio interview between Rich and I going back a couple months ago, I, I am going to recommend it highly. I think that was a really good, lively discussion uh, about um, a lot of the complexities that, that uh, folks in this field are struggling with. And also in the show notes, I've tacked on a, an episode of Uncovering Aliens, and that is a show that Marine Ellsbury's on, along with um, Daryl Sims and Stephen Jones. Um, you know, I have very, very strong opinions about uh, modern cable television docu reality, whatever you want to call it, filmmaking. Um, I really struggle with it. I, I think it's kind of exploitative, and I and I and it bothers me that this stuff is played for entertainment. When 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 it is something I take very very seriously. Now uh, all that said, I am going to tack one episode onto the show notes. Uh, That's that's actually worth watching. I I thought that um, uh, it was interesting, you know. And I and and once again, it's in this format of the modern entertainment genre, and so you know I would love to uh, hear the backstory and rather than 45 minutes or whatever whatever this show clocks out to be I would uh, I feel like this, this same show could have probably gone for an hour and a half double the length and and I would be um, more intrigued to to find out some of the uh, stranger details that I am quite certain ended up on the editing room floor all that said if you made it this far thank you so much bye now